taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Everybody's doing good. That's good. It is great to be in church with you. It's beautiful outside. It is great to have you at all five of our campuses. If you're watching online, it's good to be with you as well. My name is Steve. I'm going to talk to you. I know we have some guests in our house today. Next 30 minutes, we'll pray together and get on with, with our day. I believe anytime we come to church, two things. God knows every person who's there. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And I believe he has planned out this day for somebody. There's somebody here that he has done a ton of back work that you don't even understand and know. He has, he has pulled strings. He has opened up doors that you weren't even aware of. And somehow he got you to church today. He knew the exact seat you were going to sit in, the campus you were going to attend. And if you would allow him, he wants to speak to you and I believe change and impact your life. And so uh, we've been talking about something that I think is applicable whether you're a follower of Christ or you're not. Uh, we've, we call this sermon series One Man's Trash, and the, and the basis of it is, is we've all been through some moments in our lives, some difficulties in our lives, uh, that if at first glance we would say those were trash moments. Those, those were moments that were, were difficult. Those were moments that were hurtful. Those were moments uh, that was full of loss. Those were moments that something was taken from me. Uh, but there's this concept in Scripture in Romans. It says uh, that for all things work together for those who are, who are called by God according to his purposes. And so there's this concept that everything in your life, uh, that, that it has a purpose. And a lot of times we're not even aware of how good of a purpose that, 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 that it's going gonna, it's gonna to entail. And so what I've been trying to do is I, I've been trying to get you to think about those things differently. Because as you think, so you become. So if you think victim, if you think uh, uh, pain, if you think that, that I got something taken from me, you're going to live a life of pr- in a prison. You're going to live a life of shame. You're going to live a life with, 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 with a heavy burden on your life. So if I can get you to think different. And, and so last week, if you were here, we talked a little bit about why God allows us to go through things. Like, like the question I asked you is, you ever have moments where you, th- where you ask yourself, God, what were you thinking? Like, I, I get some of it, but what, what were you thinking when this happened? What were you thinking when my, my parents divorced? What were you thinking when you let me get this disease? What were you thinking in this situation? And so I kind of explained the process of how God uses our lives. He, he oftentimes will, will invoke, uh, uh, through, through destruction, he will invoke development. He, he will do things in your life through really difficult circumstances. And here's why. If you want to be used by God, that's called ministry. Oftentimes, he uses misery as the foundation for ministry. In in other words, when you go through something painful and you come out the other side, you will often see things other people don't see. You will think things other people don't think. You will be in situations where other people don't understand how it feels because they've never been there, but you have, and you've come out on the other side. So this is what God does. He puts you and allows you to go through difficult times, and he uses that for ministry. He lets misery be used for for ministry. And so I'm trying to get you to think differently. Next week, we're going to take a look at persecution and and, and hard times. Why why does God allow us to go through really difficult, difficult moments in our lives. What's he's trying to accomplish in in those moments? And so today I want to teach you a a principle that I've been working through in my in my in my in my life. And I want to kind of give you examples of these these moments to kind of get you to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, This week I went on vacation. I mean I love vacation. Everybody love vacation. Vacation's a good time. It also always goes too fast. Anybody with me like 
I'm one of those people, I get on vacation, I start counting down the days till it's over. Like, not because I want it to be over, but I'll be like, okay, it's Monday, that means I got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, okay, I got, I got, I got five more days. And it's Wednesday, I'm like, I got three more days. And I get to halfway point, I'm like, okay, my vacation is halfway over, but I still got, you know, that first half was pretty long, I still got this. And then it gets to like Saturday, so anybody mourn vacation when it's over? Not because I hate my life, I'm like excited to come home, but I just think, man, it went too fast. It just, it, it happens a lot, it happens with holidays where I like go through them and then I mourn the loss of that holiday. And so I went on vacation. And because I'm a kind of a time counter, uh, I went on vacation. We drove to Myrtle Beach right after church uh, last week. And when we drove there, uh, we nine hours, whatever it is. Some of you think that's long. We drove 21 hours uh, in, in June to Oklahoma. So nine hours was, was, like, a, was like driving to Lancaster from here. I mean, it was easy, right? So we drove nine hours, got there at night, not tired at all, woke up the next day, excited for vacation. But as we were driving, uh, I started m- turning places. And when I was turning on, on my car, it was making a funny noise. And so as it's making a funny noise, my wife said something's wrong with our car. Now, I'm one of, the, one of those guys that just lets, just lets the car figure it out. Like, and so I'm like, it'll just figure it out. Sound to go away, not a big deal. We drove on Monday, went grocery shopping and got stuff ready. And as I turned, it kept making the sound. And she was like, it's making the sound. I'm like, it's fine. We don't know any mechanics down here. You know, I don't want to take it to a mechanic down here. We'll wait till I get home, take it to our mechanic. It'll be fine. It'll probably stop before we get there. And as the day progressed, it got worse. And it was in the afternoon. And finally, she said, you need to, you need to call. And so I called. My car's under warranty. And so all I got to do is call my dealership and then call and say, hey, where can I take it? And they're going to most likely cover it. So I took it into the dealership. It ended up just being the ball joint something like that. It wasn't that big of a deal. And so took it in there. And when I was in there dropping it off, they're like, we're going to get you a rental car. And I'm like, okay, I'll take, take a rental car. I got a Chevy Malibu. I got to say, that's awesome. And so, no. <laughs> and so gave me the Chevy Malibu. And so as I'm going through the process, tell me what's wrong with my car. They're going to fix it. Not a big deal. Give you a Chevy Malibu. It's, it, it, the whole situation great. But I got to be honest with you, in my heart, I'm a little bit complaining and I'm a little bit perturbed. And here's why. Uh, I just preached for God the day before. I gave up my heart and soul. The least you could do is give me my vacation. <laughs> you, you ever been there? You're like, of all the times for my car to break, you can break any day you want in Pennsylvania. It won't bother me at all, right? I'll take it to the mechanic. I'll be on with my business. It breaks at Myrtle Beach. I don't know anybody. I take it in. They take me over. They're going to get me a rental car. And as I'm in there doing all this thing, I'm a people watcher. Anybody else? So I'm watching other people. And, and as I'm watching, I'm kind of listening into their conversation without being awkward. And so this other guy comes up. And they tell me real quick, your ball joint's messed up, it's going to cost this much, it's going to take this long, no big deal. This guy comes up to the counter, no lie, he says, hey, what's wrong with my car? Stop working in the middle of an intersection, what's wrong? The lady says to him, we have your car in here, it's an electrical problem. He says, what electrical problem? She says, just an electrical problem, we don't know what's wrong with it. He says, well, what does that mean? She says, sir, it's just an electrical, she obviously was not from Myrtle Beach, she's from Pennsylvania, right? (laughs) Sir, it's an electrical problem, and that's it, and so... She, he's kind of frustrated. I'm watching the whole situation play out. Long story short, he gets in the car with me to go to Hertz to get our car, our rental cars, we're both in the car. As we're driving across this highway, getting to Hertz, he begins to talk to me. He says, hey, well, you're on vacation. I said, yeah, I just got here today. You know, I began to kind of a little bit voice my, my anger with my car and my vacation and all these things. And, you know, it's Monday and I only got six days and I'm 24 hours times seven, you know, 300 hours. is wasting my time here, blah, 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 blah. And so I looked at him, I said, do you have a good vacation? Because I could tell it was the end of his vacation. Do you have a good vacation? He's trying to go home to Charlotte. You know, me, I got a nine-hour trip home, and so I drove nine hours. So I'm doing that with God, thinking, okay, God, like, where, where's the mercy and grace in this situation? And so I'm asking him, and I said, do you have a good vacation? And he said, yeah, I did. And I said, are you down with your family? He said, yeah, I'm down with my wife. I said, that's nice. He said, yeah. This is where the story turned. Uh, he said, yeah, 
my wife has stage four cervical cancer, and uh, she just got done her third round of chemo, and they're not giving her any chance to live. And so we're down here together as kind of a last-ditch effort to celebrate while we have time together. You ever been those one of those moments where you feel like an idiot? This is one of those moments. I talked to him for a while and, you know, encouraged him and, you, you know, I didn't tell him I was a pastor. I probably should have been prayed with him because we were in the middle of this thing. But just, you know, tell him how much I'd be praying for him and thinking about him. And there's not really words to talk about the thing. He, meanwhile, he has to drive his wife, who's really sick, three hours back to Charlotte, work third shift, by the way, drive all the way back to, to Myrtle Beach to pick up his car that broke down and drive all the way back. And meanwhile, I got six more days of vacation that I'm whining about because three hours have been taken from me. And this is what I'm talking about. My, my moment shifted from a, tr- tr- a trash to a treasure. You, you know what I'm talking about? Because all of a sudden, those six days of vacation, they changed for me. Like, like miniature golf went from semi-competitive to this might be the last round of golf I ever get to play with my boys. And if they're going to talk about how much I dominated at their wedding someday, <laughs> this might be the last moment. Like literally, I, I used to take it easy on them. Tuesday night, I was like, this is our tradition. And this year, they're like, yeah, right, you never take it easy. I dominated them with reckless abandon, right? I made them so mad they didn't talk to me for a few hours after it was over because of how I was rubbing it in. I had the, cor- the card on, my, on my, 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 my mirror. I was talking about how good that I did. I was doing dances when I was hit holes. I mean, I was on fire. And here's why. Because I thought to myself, I got to enjoy every moment of this vacation because it might be my last one. Whereas usually I'm going, oh, God, can you just, can we get this over with? Like, can we, can you just behave? I need to go on a vacation from my kids, right? It changed everything. It became a treasure moment. I kept going back to that conversation, think, man, what if my, what if my life ended or my wife's life was ending? Or what if we get cancer? What if one of my kids does? We're all healthy right now. We're all together. And I need to enjoy every moment because tomorrow is not promised. See what happens? It goes from trash to treasure. This is what I'm talking about, a trash to a treasure. I want you to think differently, but this, this, is, this, this, this sermon is really significant because not only do I want you to think different, but I want you to begin to understand that you should, what I would call, talk differently. I want to ask you a question today. Who do you think is the most influential person currently in your life? Who, who do you think is the most, like if I said, who has influenced your life, of course we're going to have, you know, some kind of mentor or a parent. If I said who influenced, I'm not just talking about positive, negative. All of us will revert back to a memory, a teacher, a boss, a friend, a bully, somebody who has continued to influence our life. But if I were to ask you currently, like in the daily, who is influencing your life the most? Many of us would probably answer other people, but I would argue it's you. It's you. You, your voice is the most influential voice in your life. So not only is it important how you think about things, to, to have your mind renewed by the truth of, of God's word, to think about things differently, but I'm also going to teach you today that there's significance in how you talk about those things that you've experienced. And it literally changes how, how you go through things. I, I read this week, this, this guy wrote this, this devotional, Paul David Tripp, and he said, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more then you do. Think about it. You never stop talking to yourselves. The things you say to you about you, God, and life are profoundly important because they form and shape the way that you respond to the things that God puts on your plate. And so I want to teach you today the power of, we don't, we don't talk about this enough in church. 
We don't talk, we, we talk about other things. We don't typically talk about our, our mouths. We don't typically talk about how we speak. We don't typically talk about how every word that we say we're going to be accountable for someday. Did you know that? Every word that comes out of your mouth, at one day the Bible says you'll stand before God and you'll give an account for those. Like every, that's why it says don't use idle words. In other words, what's an idle word? It's when you just diarrhea out of your mouth, right? You don't even care what's coming out. We've all been there. Don't use words like that. It's significant. In fact, watch what the Bible says. And this is, this is one of my favorite verses, but this theme is repeated all throughout Scripture. But the Bible says in Proverbs 18, a very short verse, it says, The tongue has the power of life and of death. You renew your mind and you watch the way you talk. Why? Because the tongue has the power of life and of death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What the Bible is trying to say is your words create your world. Your words create your world. You, 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 maybe some of you would disagree with me. I would, I would encourage you. Because uh, sometimes I love when science or people that aren't biblical, trying to prove the Bible right, actually prove the Bible right. And so, and so Ikea did an experiment a few years ago on the power of words. It, it, it's incredible. You can go Google it. And what they did is they took two real plants, not the fake ones, real ones, and they put them in these plexiglass boxes. I'm going to encourage you after I'm done preaching, not right now, Google it or YouTube it or wherever you want to go and look it up. They took one plant, they put it on one side, another plant, the exact same room, exact same light, exact same situation. The only thing they did is they put these boxes around, these clear boxes around each plant to create a slightly different atmosphere. But the way that they created the atmosphere was not with piping in water or piping in uh, uh, different sunlight or piping in different amounts of oxygen or keeping pollution away. The only thing they did is they put a speaker in, in each box where the plant was at and on this speaker, on this side, it says, this plant is being bullied. And true story, they began to speak to this plant. Now, I don't remember exactly what they said, but it, for my story, they, you, you, are, you look artificial. <laughs> you're, you're ugly. You don't even deserve to be an Ikea plant. You should be at Home Depot. <laughs> Your pot's ugly. Your stem is short. And they bullied this plant. And then they put a speaker in this one. And you could put your head up in and listen. And it would be like, you know, you're, you, 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 you are the most beautiful plant in the world. The green in your, your leaves is, is amazing. There is nothing con in comparison. Like this is, they're saying this, you're great, you're beautiful. And after, I think it was 30 days, but I don't know exactly how many days, so don't quote me on this. But after an amount of time, same room, same building, same light, same plant. Nothing was different. No, no difference in the amount of water. Just in the way they talked to it. The plant that they talked negatively to withered up. The plant that they were talking with encouragement was, was like as live as alive can be for an Ikea plant. It, it, it was astounding and amazing. Why? Because they proved what Scripture said thousands of years ago. Your words have the power of life and of death. And so what I want to do, and this is, this is your life. Some of you know, you have three, four, five, six, ten things, points. I have two today. Right before I left for my vacation, as I was preparing this message series, I just started jotting notes down on my whiteboard, and I wrote this, this exactly what I'm going to tell you down, not knowing I was going to preach on it, but really for me personally. 
because I struggle with this. I struggle with, with being negative with my words. I struggle with, with, with speaking down to things. I struggle in the way that I speak to situations. I struggled on, at Myrtle Beach when I was talking to my car. I got to be honest with you. I started to yell at that, that car, and then I yelled at God, and then I was annoyed, and then I was huffing and puffing, and then it started to affect the way that I was reacting to my wife, and then I was angry at Audis. We went to Audis, but all this stuff started to happen, and I wanted to go back to my, my whiteboard and, and work on what, what I wrote. And so what I want to do is I'm going to teach you two different cycles in your life, cycle of, of words. I want to show you how they work. Cycle number one is the cycle of death. I'm going to give you the bad one first, okay? Because chances are you're only going to remember one, and I want you to remember the good one. So the first one is the cycle of death. And if you're honest, most of you would say, you, you would agree, we struggle with this. And here, here's how it works. You ready? Uh, you see a burden. This is how it works. So if it was a cycle. You see a burden. You see something difficult in your life. You see something negative, right? Burdens naturally get what? They get cursed. They, they get talked down to. They get yelled about. And he, here's, here's the thing. What you curse, it gets worse. This is what happens in our lives. You, you, see, you see something negative. You see a relationship with your parents as negative. You see something done wrong to you as negative. You see a job as negative. Some of you see your kids as a pain in the butt. Let's just be honest sometimes. You're like, sometimes you're like, I don't know why I even had kids. I watch people that don't have kids. They're traveling all over the world, and they're happy, and they're skinny, and they don't have wrinkles, and I got kids, and I barely brushed my teeth today. And when I want to brush my teeth, I couldn't get any toothpaste out because they squeeze it from the middle and not the bottom. And you look at the, the relationship with their, I mean, we just do it. We're on social media. We're looking around, and we're going, this is a burden. Not a good burden like we talked about. Not a God burden. Not something like, no, an actual burden in our lives. We see stuff as bad. And when you see something as bad, what's natural? How you think or how you see, it comes out of your mouth. And you begin to speak to it in a negative way. You begin to curse it. And here is, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ or not. You can take this to the bank. What you curse gets worse. What you curse gets worse. Whatever you have, you go into your house, you complain about it, you talk about how crappy it is and how old it is, I can guarantee you more stuff breaks. Am I right? You talk to your kids in a negative way. Do they get better? They get more insecure. They get more on edge. They break more. You ever yell at your kid when they break something? You're like, I can't believe this. This was not an accident. Happened last night, right at the end of the night, right before we were going to go to bed, right before I'm getting ready to preach this sermon to myself so that I can preach it to you. They come up from the downstairs basement where I had put a couch in there so they can play video games, right? And, and they come up and they're holding one of the legs of the couch. I'm legitimate. I'm ready to look at my sermon. They go, Dad? And it wasn't an accident because I told them the day before as they were jumping on the couch and the chair and back and forth in the basement. I said, you're going to break the couch. And what do you know? Harrison breaks, breaks the couch. Do you think in that moment, now I like to tell you I was completely calm. So we should teach you. I didn't. I had to go back and repent. But do you think if I yelled at them all the time when they made mistakes that they would stop making mistakes? Well, they would make more mistakes. They would break more stuff. Do you think if you have a spouse and you begin to look at them as a burden and look at them as somebody that, and you begin to curse them with your words and talk about how bad they are and talk about how much of a mistake, do you think at one, at one day you have cursed them so much that all of a sudden it is actually reverse course in them and they're going to like, oh, you know what? I'm I love you. Do you think it ever works? No, what you curse, it always gets worse. And here's the thing about it. Somebody say, I don't curse. I don't say the F word. I don't say that word. I don't say this word. Let me tell you something. Complaining is the Christian version of cursing. Uh-oh. 
When I say curse, what I mean is complain. It just didn't rhyme with worse. So I had to say curse. But if we're really going to talk about it, we're going to take the, 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 the top layer away, and we're going to dig down into it. What it really is is complaining. We complain about what didn't happen. We complain about what did happen. We complain about where God has let us down. We complain about how God is letting these things happen to us. We complain, and here's the thing about complaining. It never has fixed or will ever fix anything in your life, ever. It has never and will never fix. In fact, let me just give you two things complaining does. Number one, complaining is draining. Write it down. It, it, it is draining. In fact, there's a, there's a book called The Energy Bus, and the, the writer of it, he, he said he termed it the, the, the energy vampire syndrome. You ever been around an energy vampire? Yeah. Do you know the energy that you create in your body? It affects every cell in who you are, the feelings that you create. And here's what's very interesting. It affects people up to 10 feet away from you. So if you're a boss and you walk in and you're complaining and you're arguing and you, walk, you don't say anything, but it's all inside of you, it affects the entire room. It's called a vampire or an energy vampire. It sucks the life out of it. And some of you don't understand this, but when you complain, you are literally sucking the life out of everything and everybody around you, every situation, everywhere that you go. It's draining. Let me give you one more. It's also contagious. It's contagious. It just rubs off. It just takes over. It, it, it's like a mold. It's, I, I always say, I was thinking about it. I'm like, how can I explain it? I, I, I don't know why I went back to the, the, the childhood memory of Winnie the Pooh. Remember, there was different characters in Winnie the Pooh. Uh, but the, the character I went back to, and I think he's reflective of many of you because I saw you walking to church today, Eeyore. <laughs> and Eeyore, the thing about Eeyore is no matter how much Eeyore complains, it just gets worse. His tail gets ripped off in every episode I've ever watched. He doesn't smile. His voice doesn't change. He, he is surrounded by Tigger and Pooh and Piglet and all these. I mean, I'm looking really elementary at this point to you. And Eeyore is just moping and it's contagious. It just takes over his life. And I got to some of you, you complain for a job and it's not fixing anything in your life. In fact, I would argue it's probably making things work. And he, here's, here's, here's the really the spiritual significance of it. Satan loves when you complain. He, he, lo he absolutely loves when Christians complain. He loves it when, when no matter what I say in church to you about how you shouldn't complain, you go, yeah, but you don't understand my life, my marriage, my kids, my job, my family, my mom and dad, my siblings, my car, my health. You don't understand it. He loves when we push it away and instead we begin to complain. I would say that in the way that God turns his ear to the desperate prayers of a humble heart, Satan turns his ears to the complaining mouth of a Christian. He goes, oh, what, what did you say? Oftentimes, he uses what you're saying in frustration for destruction in your life, by the way. Because here's the thing about Satan. He's not a mind reader. He's not omnipresent. So he's probably not ever near you. And here's why I know he's not ever near you, because you're not that much of a threat to him. He's not, he's not here right now, because I'm talking about Jesus. You know you're a threat to Satan when you are going into your workplace and you are fire boldly with your faith, telling people about Jesus. You are, you are trouble to him, and so he will come after you. If not, he's probably got one of his peon demons after you. But they are not mind readers. And so what they do, if you restudy them, they can't read your mind, so they listen to your words. And they understand what's wrong with you, by the way. This is why it's scary when you complain because they go, what would you just say? Oh, you're frustrated? 
Oh, you're, you're, you're tempted? Oh, oh, you're failing? Oh, you want to give up there? You keep telling me and giving me your ammo, right? I'm going to, it's like, it's like when you're, when you're, when you're a sports person and you tell everybody, listen, I hurt my right knee, right? The other team's going good. I'm going to take that out. That's why I love hockey. It'll be like lower body extremity injury. What does that mean? That means I don't want somebody on skates that's 220 pounds rolling up into my injured groin. So I'm just going to tell them I'm hurt somewhere. Guess. I'm not telling you you're never hurt. I'm not telling you you're never depressed. I'm not telling you you don't ever have anxiety. But would you continue to speak with a complaining nature? Would you let out of your mouth in frustration? Oftentimes Satan loves and uses it for destruction. He loves when we complain. He loves when we see burdens. He loves when we curse them. And he loves to watch what happens because what we curse gets worse. And some of you, you would say, you know what? No, you don't understand my life. And here's why I love, I love the Bible. And I want to land kind of in Philippians and then end this, this thing. But I love the Bible because when you read the Bible, it makes what you're complaining about seem ridiculous. This is what happens. It will convict you and seem ridiculous. Because here's the thing. Uh, the guy that writes this right here is writing it from a jail that he's been locked, locked up into for two years. And not only has he been locked up in jail, but he's been locked up in jail, chained to a stinky Roman uh, uh, army guy, a, a guard, a, a police officer. And they would just, for 24 hours a day, two years, they would just roll in different guys at different shifts. And so Bruno comes in. I just imagine that's what a Roman guard's in, Bruno, right? And Maximus, right? And somebody like that. Roll him in, and he's just chained in there. And here's, here's, here's a little background of the story. This guy is in there for no other reason but simply wanting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. He, 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 he was shipwrecked. He had served his job. His name was Paul. His job, his goal in life was to travel to areas that the gospel had not yet been and to teach people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to start churches that would continue to share the gospel with that area, and then he would leave. He would train up pastors, and he would leave, and this is what he did over and over and over again. Sometimes he spent a few years, sometimes he spent a few months, and then he would communicate back with these churches. And so this is where he's at. And if you don't know anything about the Bible, Paul's number one desire in his life was not a big house, was not marriage, was not to become a doctor, was, was, was not to have a pretty, you know, a bunch of awesome kids. It's not the American dream at all. His number one bucket list in his life was for one day for him to travel to Rome, which was like their times in New York or Los Angeles, to travel to Rome and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in Rome. That was his bucket list. That's all he wanted to do. And so in Philippians, he is in Rome, but he's not in Rome as a preacher. He's in Rome as a prisoner. The sermon is sometimes God gets you to where he wants you to be, but it looks a lot different. And as he's writing to, to, to these men, if there was ever somebody who should complain and see a burden, it's him. He's chained against his own will 24 hours a day. And listen, they didn't bathe like we did, so Bruno probably stunk. He's probably like, Bruno, did you, did you bathe today? They're, they're chained up together. He's trying to itch. Bruno's arm's going with him. His hairy, sweaty arm slapping him in the face. Uh, he, he, he can't go to the bathroom by himself. He eats food, but it's in a nasty, dumpy prison. He is there for two years against his will. The world is kind of passing on. And he writes this letter back to the church of Philippians in Philippi. And this is what he says. And if there was ever a time to complain, it would be now. And this is what he says. Watch what he says. He says, in Philippians 2, do everything. Now, study the Greek. In the Greek, everything means everything. Can you just pull that down for one second? I just want to make sure we understand this. Whatever you're thinking about right now that it's okay for you to complain, just call it an excuse. 
Because Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You live in America. You're going home to your house tonight. Yeah, your husband gets on your nerves. Your wife gets on your nerves. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, your boss is really hard on you. Even the worst things. Yeah, I got it, man. You got it. some kind of disease. It's really bad. I, I get it. This life's tough. But in every situation that you have, I'm going to tell you what, 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 the, what the best way to do it is, how, how to face it. Don't, don't complain. He says, what? Bring it back up. Do everything. Everybody say everything with me. Write that down. If you don't remember anything else in this sermon, write down the word everything. Because if you put everything, then anything you're about to complain about, you can't because you're not supposed to complain about anything because you're not supposed to do it. Because he says, in everything, don't grumble and don't argue, right? Do everything without that so that you can become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. So first cycle, cycle of death, life will keep getting worse. Burden, curse, worse. Simple as that. What you, what you curse gets worse. Let me give you the second cycle because the power of the tongue, uh, life and death. There's a cycle of life. Ready? Here, here's what. You begin through, through a relationship with Christ to see everything as a blessing. Everything. When you see a blessing, the natural thing to do is what? Praise follows. That's what happens. And what you praise prospers. That's, this, this is a cycle of life. You want to change your life. You're not going to change your, your, your circumstance probably. You can't go back in time and switch out your parents. You can't go back in time and have a different sibling. You can't go back in time and have a different boss. You can't go back in time and hurt that teacher that said something to you. You can't go back in time and bully that bully. This is not going to happen. You can carry it the rest of your life and let it affect you and be a victim and, and, and be a, have burden and, and let it affect the way you parent and let it affect the way that your grandparent and let it affect the way you work. And you, you can do all that if you want. It'll just get worse. Or... You can say, I'm going to create a different atmosphere in my life. The atmosphere that I create is determined in the way that I think. Because that determines the way that I see things. And as I, as, as I think, so I speak. That's, that's what the Bible says. Out of the abundance of the heart, of the insides of man, the mouth speaks. So I'm going to change the way I think. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about some, some foo-foo, new age, oh, I got to be centered. That's not what I'm talking about. Please don't hear that. The Bible says when you start a relationship with Christ that you have an experience that renews your mind. The Bible calls it being born again. It's not going back and fixing everything. It's actually starting a new life where you're not going to let the past affect you. It's you become a new creation. The Bible says the old man is gone. A new man has come. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. You were blind and now you see. That's the process of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about him. That's we're not, why we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power to change even someone like me. So you think differently because of Christ. And when you think differently, the natural thing is for a follower of Christ to begin to speak differently. And you see things as a blessing. And when you see something as a blessing, you begin to praise it. And what you praise prospers. It's just the principle of life. In fact, watch what Paul says if you keep going in Philippians chapter 2. He says in verse number 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, because I think people would say that, Hey, Paul, I get what you're saying, but that's not really what you're facing. He says, Listen to me, even if what I'm facing is, is real, like I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I'm being sacrificed for the faith, he says. Watch what he says. He says, I am glad and will rejoice with all of you. So too, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Even if I'm facing these things, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be thankful. 
I'm going to find the blessing. In fact, one of the coolest things about Philippians is a, is a, a few chapters later, he tells them, hey, this person gives their regards, and this person gives their regards. And then he begins to say, and the, 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 the guards of the house of, of the emperor, Caesar, which is the guys that are, that, are, that are strapped to him, they're now following Christ as well. See, the thing about Paul is Paul was in prison, but prison was never in Paul. He went through things, but they were never took a hold of who he was. Because no matter where he was, he also says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. You've heard this verse. And for me to die is what? You remember this verse? Is gain. That is so unlike any American theology that we ever even kind of grip to. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. If I live here and I'm strapped to Bruno, Bruno's getting saved and baptized. Bruno's going to receive Christ. Wherever he puts me, I'm going to find success. I'm going to see it as a blessing. And what I see as a blessing, I'll praise. And what I praise prospers. I can prosper in prison. I can prosper on a platform. I can prosper at my job. I can see prosperity in my family. I can see it in my kids' lives. Whatever I praise prospers. And the cool thing about Paul, if you track his life, this is who he was. It wasn't a one-time thing. He's a little older in Philippians. And he's experienced some life. But if you go back in time, if you do a little exegetical study of the scriptures, you can go back into the book of Acts, which is just an overview of all the things that happened as the church was started. And so if you, if, you're, if you were doing the Bible, if you want to look at the New Testament, it's not one book that goes in order. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are the gospels of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is what the church did with the gospel. And then all the letters, except for Revelation, were written during the book of, of Acts. They were letters that were written during the occurrences. And there's one situation in the book of Acts that tells you how the church in Philippi, which he now writes to, was started. Paul and a man named Silas show up there. This is what I love about Paul. He's consistent through his life. And he shows up to the city of Philippi to start a church. And they're wild. I always pray, God, I don't want to be wild like these guys. They're walking through the streets, and there's this demon-possessed girl that is owned by, by, by a man. And what she does is she tells people's fortunes, and then he makes a lot of money. And she comes up to them and starts to call them out. And they cast that demon out of her, and all of a sudden her talent is gone, which means that his meal ticket is gone. And so he gets mad at them. He has them whipped and beaten and thrown in prison. So they throw them in prison, and they lock them up. And what you don't see, because he says in, in Philippians chapter 2, years later, as he's chained in Rome, because he had a knack for going to jail. He says, don't, don't complain about anything. But it wasn't a new practice. It was something he'd been doing for years. Because him and, him and Silas get locked up. And uh, when they get locked up, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, they begin to sing. I don't know if they could sing good or not. But they begin to sing. So if you just picture, they've been flogged, which means they've been whipped the way Jesus would have been whipped. And so their backs are shredded. They're in an uncomfortable jail. They probably, they're probably tasting blood through their mouth, bleeding out in their back. Who knows what their face looks like, and they're in jail. And the Bible says they begin to praise. And here's what, and this was so cool. It says, and the other jailers listened in on them. Here's a little side sermon for you. This is why this is so important for you to see this way. Because here's the thing. Your faith should be impactful. It, sh it should. You, you are comparable uh, to a doctor having the cure for cancer in our world physically. You have the cure inside of you for the greatest ailment. It's bigger than, than physical. It's spiritual. It's killing people forever. It's sin. And you have the cure for it in your life, but it's not just for you. It's for the world. And your faith should impact other people. 
Your workplace should be impacted. Your family should be impacted. And sometimes I think we get frustrated because we're like, we invite people to church and they don't ever come because here's why. Nobody cares about this today. You think this is impactful for you to come in on Sunday morning and give God an hour and a half of your time? Come on. It's about as impactful as somebody giving an hour and a half of their time to coach their kid. That's not the impact. The impact is when your faith becomes so fire in your life that the smoke comes out of your life in situations where you should complain and instead you don't. Instead, you bite your lip and you point your hands towards heaven and you say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And when people see you suffer well, that's a faith that makes a difference. And so these other prisoners turn their ear and they hear Paul and Silas singing, this is the day, this is the day, this is the day the Lord has made. They cut into a duet where, where, where Paul sings one part and then Silas cuts in on the other. They start clapping together, they're having church. And the Bible says, because what you praise prospers, the Bible says as they began to praise that the foundations of the, de- of the jail begin to shake and the doors come open and they can go free, but they don't. They stay. And the jailer comes running because he's terrified because if he loses a prisoner, he will surely die. And Paul says, don't worry, we're all here. And he comes into the jail and he pulls these beaten men out of their cells that were singing and he brings them back to his house. And he cleans them up and he says, I want what you have. I want to know what it is that you have that allows you to sing and be filled with joy and not complain. I want that. And the Bible says that they lead this man and his entire household to Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's cool. Years later, Paul's in prison for two years. And he writes back to the church of Philippians. And most historians believe that that jailer who was from Philippi years earlier would be one of the leaders of the church who would now be reading this letter to the church that was still in Philippi as a man who had been changed as a result of watching somebody praise through pain. It's a powerful testimony. So you can see everything in your life as a, as a, as a burden. Keep doing it. You talk about how unfair God has been and how nobody ever looks out for you. You can continue to do that all you want. You can live bitter in anger. The Bible says a bitter root grows in you, defiles many. You can continue to hand that hurt off in the way that you parent, in the way that you're a spouse, in the way that you work to other people. And you can create a generational curse if you want. You can wreck your life and many generations to come or... Through relationship with Jesus Christ, through the renewing of your mind, you can begin to think about things differently. And as you think about things differently, you can let your faith translate to the outside and you can begin to see things as a blessing, even the worst things in your life. You can see the blessing. And as you see the blessing, you begin to praise. And what you praise, the natural result is it, is it prospers. There's two cycles. The tongue has the power of life and death. You get to decide. Your voice is the most influential voice in your life. But here's the thing about it. I want to make sure I build this. You can speak crappy words over yourself. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And they're shallow because they're from you. But when you speak the words of truth, which is from the word of God, that's where they're foundational. That's where they're full of life. I'm going to be okay. Why? Because the Bible says that I'm more than a conqueror through faith Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Bible says God uses all things for the good of those who love him, and I love him according to his name and called by his purposes. The Bible says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You see what happens when you speak the word of God? 
Bible says these things, so I'm going to speak these things. The Bible says the words that I speak have the power of life and death. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over our house just for a moment? It has been an honor to share the truth of God with you. But here's the thing I don't want to do. I don't want to just share a good speech with you. I don't want to articulate something to you that entertains you for a few moments. That's not what I want. That's never our goal. I don't want you to think about anything that I have said. I want you to fix your eyes on, on Jesus right now. And he's here right now. And some of you, you are in a desperate situation and you think the answer is just to figure out why you went through it and not ever have to go through it again. And that's not the point. There's another passage where Jesus, he doesn't mince any words. He says, listen, in this world you will have trouble. Don't be surprised. But then he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. What, what did he do? He took the worst that the world could give us. He was placed on the cross. When he did that, he died in our place for our sins. They took his lifeless body off that cross and they buried him in a tomb and they tried to stamp his name out from history. You see, he would just be destined to be one of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that through history have been put on a cross. But the Bible says that three days later they came to his tomb and he was, he was gone. He rose in power. And what Jesus said, he said, I'm going to die in your place for your sins. I'm going to defeat the penalty of your sins, which was death and hell. And it's going to be through what I do for you on that cross that you can find forgiveness and freedom and hope. That you don't have to be a victim. That you don't have to deal with burdens and shame. That you can find freedom in me. And he has reached his hands out to, to mankind, to people just like you and just like me. And I'm not trying to explain away what you've been through. I'm not trying to tell you it hasn't been difficult. I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't be angry. What I'm trying to tell you is if you keep carrying it through your life, you're never going anywhere. And you can't forget it. You can't change it. So you have to forgive it. And here's the thing. You can't forgive until you meet the forgiver. Because forgiveness is built and based on what Jesus did for us on that cross. You're not good enough. You didn't just get done, stuff done to you. You have also sinned. And the Bible says that the wages of your sin, of your mistakes, is death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can spend the rest of your life trying to make sense of it. You can spend the rest of your life trying to get over it. You can spend the, le the rest of your life trying to prove that person wrong. Or you can step into freedom and peace that is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we get ready to, to pray together, the Bible says if you would just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. If you would say, you know what, I'm not going to run from God anymore. I, don't, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. That the Bible is clear. The promise is that you would be saved that your sins would be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That's called the grace of God. Yes, you don't deserve it, but God finished the work that you could have never finished on the cross so that you could become his child. He loves you more than you can imagine. 
He doesn't want you to wander one more day on this earth without him. And if you were here early enough in the service, you know that last song we sang, it talked about how we're a child of God. One time I watched that, that adoption ceremony where, where the Bible says that God adopts us into his family. I watched physically on this earth an adoption ceremony where parents were saying, I pick you, there's power there. I'm going to pick this child. But as I watched it, the one part I never knew about is in the ceremony, the parents said, I pick you, but then the judge looks at the kid and he says, do you pick them? And before the kid can be adopted, he has to agree or she has to agree, yeah, I want them to be my parents. And there's a ceremony present here today. And the ceremony is God is saying, I want to adopt you into my family as my son or my daughter. I want to give you the rights that my son has earned for you. I want to give you forgiveness. I, I want to save you. I have a spiritual home destined for you in heaven. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. And he has done all that work, but you still have a step in it. You still have to agree. You still have to say yes. You still have to receive him. I'm not talking about signing up for a church. No, no. I'm talking about a relationship. Listen, your life is, is won and lost in the relationships you keep. And every relationship that you have outside of Christ, many of them leave you broken, many of them leave you angry, many of them leave you hopeless. But there's a relationship you can have. The Bible says that you can have a relationship with, with Jesus where he will stick closer than a brother, where he will never leave you nor forsake you, where his love for you doesn't grow when you're good, it doesn't fade when you're bad, that he gives you grace and mercy and hope and all you need to do is receive it. So there's nobody looking around right now. Everybody's praying. Maybe if you're not praying, if you're not a believer, you would just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. But I believe that the Spirit of God is moving right now. I believe nobody's here by accident. And he, he is here to change somebody forever. And so what we do at our church is as we pray, I'm just going to say at all of our campuses, if you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to say yes. If that's you, then all I'm going to ask you to do at all of our campuses, there's somebody standing in the front just like I am, there's somebody online, but all I want you to do when I ask you this question is I want you to respond with putting a hand straight towards heaven. Straight towards heaven. And when you do that, you are simply saying before God, your heavenly Father, I want a relationship with you. You choose me and I receive you. I receive your love, your forgiveness, your guidance. I receive all that from you. So right now, all over our camps, somebody has already responded in Royersford. Let's clap for that person. They've already responded. If you're here right now, and I didn't even get to ask you yet, but I'm going to ask you right now, do you need a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if that's you, all over our house, somebody else just put their hand up in Royersford to receive Christ. If that's you all over our houses and you say, you know what, today I'm going to choose that relationship with God. He has given me everything, and today I'm going to receive him as my father, as my God as the forgiver, as the one who gives me hope. I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you just begin as those they have in words for, to just shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray that with you today. I'm gonna pray that with you today. I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. I wanna ask him to come into my heart. I wanna ask him to forgive my sins. I wanna ask him to set me free. I'm going to give you one more second as we get ready to pray with those in Royersford. And we're waiting for people in Limerick and Montgomeryville and, 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 and Plymouth Meeting and, and, and online to respond. And right here in Phoenix, but you would say, hey, that's me, Pastor. I'm going to receive the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. Let's begin to pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. 
Lord, thank you as people continue to respond. Thank you for your word, for it never returns void. Thank you for those all over our campuses that are saying yes to you. Lord, that you've stood before them and you said, I want a relationship with you. I've showed you how much I love you through what I was willing to give up to get to you. I gave up my life in your place. I died on the cross for your sins. I rose in power. And the Bible says that I ascended. And now I sit at the right hand of God. And I intercede for you to come home. I speak your name to come home. And so, God, I'm thankful, Lord, that your children are responding to you. They're starting a relationship with you. They're a brand new creation. The old is gone. They're alive in Christ. But thank you for your word. Thank you for all that we've had to celebrate. Thank you for all that you will continue to do, Lord. And Lord, we're thankful for this week. Whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, whatever's coming our way, whatever felt like a burden, Lord, we're going to begin to praise you. We're going to thank you for whatever comes our way. And as we praise, we're going to prosper. We're going to see you do what only you can do. Change our work. Change our families. Change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, one more time, church. Let's shout amen and clap together.